actually in this Memorial Day weekend a really special treat. Adam Obonsky is our, is our guest preacher. And I want to say that Adam Obonsky is one of the most interesting people that I've ever met in my life. Uh, I, mean, I mean that both ways. I mean that, yeah. He really is. I mean, he's incredibly smart, and I can talk to him about the deepest theological things or philosophical things or anything like that, but he's also got this incredible combination of an unbelievable creativity. You guys have seen much of his work product on our screens. The truth is, as you're going to find out in a second, you've actually seen them on television shows and movies and all over the place because this guy is just a genius at what he does. He truly is, uh, and it's just been a... A blessing. He's on our creative team. He's part of my threefold. Uh, I just did that selfishly because I just like hanging out with him because I get to laugh and I get to think at the same time, and that's just a rarity in the world, right? You know what I mean? Uh, and I just, I, I want to sum it up this way. It was the most interesting reaction. You know, when I told people Adam Obonsky's preaching, every single person that knew Adam went, oh my gosh, I can't wait for that. You know what I mean? Everybody that knows him was like, oh my gosh, that's going to be great. So, unfortunately, that put a really high bar on him. <laughs> Not nervous at all, are you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's just have grace on him, all right? This is a great message. It's wonderful. So, just welcome him. Adam Obonsky. It is? Okay, good. I, I get it. That's good. All right. Um, so, like I said, I am actually pretty nervous. And so I, now the cool thing is I know just about everybody here. Um, and those of you I don't, you're my friends now. Um, <laughs> so please be friendly. And um, <laughs> uh, if you will, just take a moment to pray with me. And yeah, this video, second. God, I know you have something that you want to say, and um, it took a while to get here, and you took me through a bunch of different iterations of it before you got here, and you're going to have me share personally, which is always a little dangerous. Um, but I know you have something good, and I know you want to speak through me. So I pray that you would do that, and you'd help me put the nervousness aside or speak through it or whatever you do. Because um, I know you have a good thing. So thank you for being here. Thank you for my friends and my family here. Amen. All right. All right. Um, so unfortunately, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna move this so I can actually see it. Um, let's do that. That just tells me what. Oh, I've ruined it. Can somebody come fix that? <laughs> it's a good start. Um, that just tells me what slide's coming up next. So. Um, Let's see if we can make this thing work. All right. I'm not going to go backward. I'm going to go forward. Hi. <laughs> okay. So I'm Adam Lubonsky, and like I said, most of you know me. Um, this is my wife over here, Jennifer. Yep. <laughs> okay. And we've gone to Lake Sam here uh, since a couple years before we got married, and that's going to be, well, we got married almost 14 years ago. And we've been going here for 15 or 16. I actually got here shortly after Kurt. Um, and in the years since then, we've collected a couple of kids. And um, we're, uh, it looks like we're about to collect another one. And so pretty soon, we'll have a full set. 
Should be cool. A five-year-old uh, looks like they're going to be joining us. My wife, I want to talk about her for a little bit. Yeah, you. <laughs> She's got this raised eyebrow thing going on. Um, she, well, she's really busy. Um, she, I guess the first thing I should say about her is that she really loves God. And every day she spends, well, I think she spends more time every day intimately with God than I probably spend in a week. I guess I'm not really proud of that, but I do love what it does in her. And she, besides having a counseling practice, she runs the house, and I'd say that every day I discover something new that she does that um, I wasn't aware of before, and so I appreciate her for that. And the thing I think I pre- appreciate her most for is that she puts up with me. Because, and, and you're going to hear about some of that stuff. <laughs> she does deserve applause for it. Um, so, but she keeps me grounded, too. She doesn't just put up with me. She loves me, and I love, I love you. So, thanks. So my work, which Kurt talked about a little bit, it really does get very out of control. Um, the days can be long. It's not unusual to go for more than a day without sleep. Sometimes two 72-hour days are not. They're more frequent than they should be. The 48-hour ones are pretty often. And it has a lot of effect on things. But the cool thing is, you know, I get to work, you know, for 16 years I've gotten to work on a lot of stuff like for Microsoft, we're in you know, Washington, Bellevue area. I think everybody that does freelance anything has probably done something for Microsoft. Um, gotten to work on T-Mobile, a bunch of other big things. But probably the coolest stuff is the movie and television work that I get to do. Um, when you go to a movie or you watch movies, go into, um, they go into like a control room and there's all these screens all over the place and they're all lit up with stuff that don't look anything like your computers at home. Um, I do that stuff. So it's all going, and they're doing, you know, satellite tracking and voice recognition and all that stuff. Um, and I get to do a lot of that. And I do it with a team. I'm not, you know, the big dog in Hollywood. But I get to do a lot of that stuff. Um, so I want to show you that because uh, it has a lot to do with what I'm going to talk about. It's about a minute and a half. And look, there's like some G.I. Joe stuff and Spider-Man and some other cool stuff in there. And I don't know how to make that start. There we go.
anyhow, I get to do kind of cool stuff. <laughs> and um, the pressure of a lot of it is kind of amazing. Um, the deadlines are, if you miss them, it's, um, I don't know, it's terminal for your career. Um, so there's no, I couldn't quite make it. You have to make it, and that comes at really great cost um, a lot of time and a lot of time to my family. And it got me thinking about how much I'd like for the world to be different, and I'd like for God to have set things up a little bit different. And I think, you know, when we all think about how things go, we probably would maybe have done things a little bit different. So um, the title of this sermon is How to Build, is that two pieces? A Better God. (laughs) All right. And we're going to do a really fun thing here. I'm going to build, well, I'm going to build my better God. But I, I got a few things I think you might do in there. Um, so if we were going to build a better God, the first thing that he would have is go-go gadget arms. Okay. That's a given. Okay. And he would have the powers of the genie from Aladdin. He'd be able to give me anything I want when I ask for it, but he'd know when to shut up instead of how Robin Williams does it. All right. My God, if I built him, he'd be so big that you could see him from space, but he'd be small enough to fit in my wallet because he's versatile like that, and he's God, so he can do whatever he wants. His eyes would have laser beams to smite my enemies, and he would breathe fire when I asked him to. I got two slides of that. I would get three wishes, and the first wish could absolutely be for a thousand more wishes. Like that, yeah, thank you. (laughs) And he would pour a perfect shot of espresso every time. It would never taste bitter. And this is a big one. I think, like, when it comes down to this, it's something that most of the people can agree on. Firefly would never have been canceled. (laughs) Thank you. Banks would always be open. I would never be broke. I wouldn't be broke now or ever again. If I could build a better God, work would come in throughout the year evenly in manageable chunks instead of all at once. I wouldn't have worked 116 hours since last Sunday to make up for the past six months of no work or very little work. Working this much wouldn't have consequences for my health, my marriage, or my family. My daughter wouldn't be chronically ill and in constant pain. My wife wouldn't have miscarried and been torn down in public. I could stay angry and bitterness wouldn't consume me about these things. If you were God, you could get money by any effort you wanted. You could screw over people, keep it all for yourself, and you could just call it business. You could have sex with whoever you want in the world, then just call it freedom. You could break contracts and covenants, because you're God, you make the rules. And you could do whatever you want, and you could call it good. You could change the laws of the universe to fit your opinion. 
You'd be an amazing God. But you're not God. I didn't speak the universe into being. You didn't speak the universe into being. I can't even speak dinner into being. (laughs) I keep wanting God to be what I expect him to be. And it's not just me. I keep seeing the same idea, not just in the world, but in the church, for people who know him, for people who love the God that I serve, the God of the Bible. And I think, I was really thinking about it, and I think this sums it up perfectly. Come on. Believing my opinion of something is just as valid as any other because there's no actual truth. Uh, do I really think that? Do I think there's no actual truth? I think God, that God's the truth. It turns out I don't actually live that in everything that I do. And honestly, it almost destroyed me. And I want to tell you the story about how I got there. Let's see what I came up with next. All right. All right, so to do this, we need to start back in 1988 when I was graduating from high school. Um, and what the thing was at the time, and I assume people still do it, is um, you get a gift for your graduation, something to mark the occasion. And what I really, really wanted, and what I believe I rightly deserved, was a Saab 900 <laughs> Turbo SPG and two-tone, just like that one. Um, my parents, in their wisdom, sent me to Poland It's over there somewhere. I'm still, I learned other things in school. I just don't know where Poland is. All right. Oh, and that sob, I took that picture of the sob on the trip. I was thinking about it. Um, So that's me at the Berlin Wall on my way to Poland. Uh, This is in 1988. Um, And I thought it was cool at the time, but it was cooler the next year to have seen it in context uh, when I got to break a big chunk of it off and it's sitting on my fireplace at home, which is pretty cool. And it was kind of an unexpected thing. I'd, I think I treasure that more than I would of the car. Um, so it was a missions trip, which was fine. I, you know, I grew up in the church. I loved Jesus. But I think the thing I remember most, a couple things I remember, the biggest things, are my, twi- my, twip, my trip to Auschwitz, um, which I'll talk about a little bit later. And... The fact that God told me what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Give me a calling. Give me a calling. He told me I was supposed to change the world for him through media. Which is an interesting thing to learn on a missions trip uh, to Poland because I had, wasn't doing anything in uh, media at that point. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd held a video camera uh, up to that point and drawn pictures in art class. Um, and when I say God told me, like I knew how to pray to God at that point, but I'd never actually heard him like change the world through media. Like it was so clear. And I don't think I've ever heard him that, I mean just that clearly since. And he still talks to me, but that was firm. And the cool thing with that is I was 18 years old and I knew what I was going to do with my life. I mean how, do you, how many 18-year-olds got to do that? How many get to do that? Um, so it's kind of surprised me, and I thought it was really cool. And so I went back home. And I thought, this is the part where I get to change the world. 
but it turns out that the path to doing that is so much different and so much more unexpected than I thought it would be. And I was 18 years old, so I knocked around for a bunch of years not doing anything like that. So after being a horrible barista, a unreliable warehouse worker, and a general slacker, I kind of got my stuff together going, why isn't God doing anything? I thought, well, it's probably because I'm not doing anything. You know? So I started doing video, because I had always been interested in it and seemed along the lines of his calling and graphic work. Um, and I got pretty decent at it. Um, and after a while, uh, I got an offer to do a bunch of work for a big uh, religious organization. Um, and through most of the 90s, um, these are posters and print collateral I did, but we did these big shows, and you, you see them now. Your, your kids go like to Acquire the Fire and some of these other, um, uh, I don't know what the, what the big ones are. But at that point, nobody was doing them, and we actually got to make the template for what your kids go and yell about when they uh, go to youth conventions now. Um, we were doing it on VHS tape, running coax for people who geek out on that stuff. It was terrible. Um, but... I was fulfilling God's will for my life, I thought. And we were hoping it would become something big. And um, I would say, like, you know, people got saved. And I wouldn't say it. I know that they did. And I thought that was cool. But it wasn't exactly changing the world. There's a bunch of church kids coming to church. And they were bringing people along with them. But it never really feel like God was fulfilling that destiny that he'd, you know, set out for me. Um, and then after a while, uh, right near the end of the 90s, this opportunity came along. And I just thought, can I really do this? Is this the right thing? Because I haven't finished what you said you would do for me. And I asked God, and he said, yeah, go for it. And that was kind of surprising. And I got to go work on movies. And uh, in 1999 and early 2000, I worked on these two movies. And um, the sixth day, uh, I was up in Vancouver. I spent six months uh, in a four-star hotel um, uh, Every expense paid for doing graphics for this movie. Um, I was one floor down from Arnold. In the, we rode the elevator down some mornings. We'd get coffee. I got to meet him and get to know him a little bit. I met really big movie stars. Um, I got to be on big film sets. One thing I discovered, um, actually kind of disappointing, is that nobody doing what I do in that industry is actually rich. And I... <laughs> It's true. Yeah, it is kind of a bummer because I really liked it. And I, I, but I also discovered I really liked it. And that, I, and that the hours, especially since I wasn't married at the time, were actually kind of okay. So I dealt with it. And I knew I was learning something. And I just thought, you know, this isn't, really, um, this isn't really for the kingdom, but I can see that God's teaching me kind of an amazing work ethic and the ability to make something impossible happen. Because movie sets are these little crucible where you're asked to do things constantly that can't be done, and you have to deliver. And I learned how to do that. And that seemed pretty valuable. Um, so I was grateful to that. But I also discovered this really unexpected thing about God, and it was that he'd let me work in movies. Like, when I grew up, it wasn't exactly clear to me that's what God, that God would be okay with that. And he actually, it was clear he was okay with it. Um, so that was fun, and things were going well. And then we got to Swordfish, um, which was also in 2000. Uh, we'd just gotten married, Jennifer and I. And um, I asked God, uh, can I go do this? We got the script, read it, 
prayed about it, and God said, no, don't do it. <laughs> but I wanted to. And uh, honestly, you know, he'd been okay with the other ones. Why would this be a problem? And uh, you know what? It was a cool set. My, my, my wife, uh, we actually got to hang out with Hugh Jackman. We got to meet other big stars, Travolta, John Travolta and Halle Berry and some other people around there, which is pretty cool. Um, and of all the films that I've worked on up to that point, and actually for many years afterwards, this is the one that it seemed like most people had seen. Because um, I could say, hey, you've seen that movie? And they go, yeah. I go, see, you know, all that stuff, all that hacking that he did? I did most of that. You did that? Like, yeah. You were on set? Yeah, I was on set right there, standing right behind the camera over here when all that was shot. Oh, that's cool. And so it gave me this calling card that was actually was a huge boost to my career from that point afterward. And so I thought, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I didn't hear God right, or maybe this was a negotiable thing, you know? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that Swordfish was financially devastating for us which is interesting because you'd think there'd be some sort of moral thing with it or some other tragedy. But it's expensive to do these. The equipment is expensive. And it's not that people don't make money doing it. It's that it all goes back into the equipment and travel and things like that. We were just married. I mean, this was difficult for our marriage. It caused stress right off the bat. My wife had never been in debt for anything. She paid her way through college um, on scholarships and working hard and never had a student loan and just... I was kind of the antithesis of what she was. And I think she was just wondering what she'd married into. Thanks. <laughs> so this ended, and it didn't just end financially bad. It ended on a bad relationship note with the people that I worked with. Um, and not just because of them. I, 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 I had a few things I needed to work through that helped cause that. And of course, at this point, I vowed to listen about God. I will never ignore you again. I remember you told me not to do this. I see this. And I can honestly say that since then, the steps that I've taken, I have not ever knowingly gone against what God, what I felt like God was telling me to do. I've tried to take every step um, and just go, you said it, okay, that seems weird. That seems bad. They are you said, I'm going to go do it. And for the next 10 years, I got to do really amazing work. And uh, Swordfish, uh, for a big part, helped get me uh, to be uh, the guy in charge of all of the visual design for CNET. Um, I don't know if you know this game or you've played it, um, but for a few years there, it was the best-selling board game in the world. Um, There's a couple people that go to church here and some family that actually got to work with me there. But I think the biggest thing about it um, that became relevant later is not that I get great bragging rights about this stuff. Um, it's that I learned to lead people when I was there. Um, up to that point, I had small teams of graphic designers doing stuff and, you know, here, do this little bit. But in this, I had to learn how to manage people who were very capable on their own. They didn't actually need me to do a good job. And I think one of the things that I discovered up to that point is I really hated creative directors. Um, because, you know, it's like their opinion matters more than mine. And now I was the creative director, and my opinion mattered more than everybody's. <laughs> but I'd vowed that I wouldn't be that jerk. 
um, when I did this. And it turns out that's hard to do, and there's reasons why people in charge become what they are, because they get a little bit of power about things. And I'm not going to analyze that in particular. But I learned how to deal with people like myself who are very uh, delicate, <laughs> I guess, you know. And um, it turns out I was pretty good at it. And I made good money there, too. It's the most money I've ever made at anything. Um, and I, so it was a real surprise when one Friday night as I left work and got home, God told me, you need to quit, and you need to quit now. Okay? So I came in Monday, and I quit. Um, Jen and I talked about it. I, I, I don't know. Did he say to do it? She's nodding. I mean, it was that. I remember where we were. I remember everything. I remember talking on the phone with people in my department uh, who were going, what? And people who, what happened here? People who had felt betrayed. And I lost relationships making that happen. I lost a great income and no idea what was coming next. And I was supposed to do it. And through this, I'm still wondering, what am I going to do to change the world? What are you doing here? Because that's cool but it has nothing to do with him. And I can go, and I can do the Christian thing. I, I know that I'm living God in what I was doing, and I tried to honor him in what I did. Um, but change the world through media. And so I kept going uh, with that thought in my mind, which is, how is God fulfilling his calling in me? Okay, you say you do this. Money was great after that, and tight, but mostly tight. And he blessed us with really great kids, a great house, um, great friends, a great church, um, people that I could talk about some of the stuff that was difficult there and work it through, and people who would let me be honest about what was going on um, and not judge me for things that didn't sound particularly Christian. Um, oh, and since then, uh, back working on big movies again, which is kind of cool. God did something really interesting there. And you can go see, if you watch Transformers next month, it's coming out. I worked on that. Um, but still, in 1988, he told me what he was going to do. And at this point, it's about 2008. So it's 20 years. That deserves a slide. All right. Okay. So 20 years. Shouldn't God be working quicker than this? Shouldn't he be doing something with me? I'm following And so I was kind of disappointed. He'd had me quit this really great job. Ooh, that was cool. Um, he'd had me quit this really great job, and I wondered what I was supposed to do. And so I knocked around, and I got to keep doing some stuff for the church, and I got to keep doing things for other you know, freelance clients. But then he told me to do a movie, like make my own. Um, I mean, his own. But I got to do it, um, which was cool, because I hadn't directed a movie up to that point. I'd worked on other people's big budget movies, and I was going to get to do my tiny little micro-budget one. But he told me to do it. And I'm like, right on. I, don't, you know, I only kind of know what I'm doing, but, um, but you, you know, you'll get me through. I have faith. And the thing that's funny about it is, you know, at that point, um, <laughs> I didn't have any money. You know, he, he'd taken that away. Um, but he brought in money throughout. Um, he brought me through unexpected routes. When, 
when we were at the point where we can't go on, we have people ready to show up and shoot, but there's no money to pay for the venue or the equipment or whatever, God would bring, he never made it easy. He made me work hard. He would flood my business with work to where I was working all day, all night, and then having to get up tired and go direct the thing because we shot it on weekends. And, but he provided for it. I didn't know how to write, and he provided a writer. I needed a partner, and he provided not just a partner, but somebody who's genuinely become one of my best friends. And I never even knew this person before. And he created something that I know was uniquely him in that script and that partnership. And I think, you know, looking back, I go, there's 20 years. So what did God do here? What was he doing? Well, he used all of that leadership stuff to help lead. I mean, we had... When we go through the credits list and we put it together, there were, I think, there were at least 600 people involved in making this movie. Um, if Justine's here, she probably knows the number exact. But um, I think it was up to 900. It was a lot. And the thing is, every person, not every person, but I had so many people come back to me, even the ones who were veterans of working on film sets and going, I've never felt so cared for. I've never felt like things were so organized on any other film set. You guys really know what you're doing. You've done this before, right? <laughs> so, um, but, you know, this is cool. And the great thing is, and, and Jen and I, we talk about this all the time, it's not done, in, it wasn't done in such a way that I could look at it and go, look what I did. He just provided. Those were, I, I couldn't have made any of that stuff happen. And so it's clear to me that God's mark is on this film, and we actually made it. Uh, it's Rogue Saints. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, actually a lot of you were involved in it, so the few of you <laughs> aren't aware of it, it's Rogue Saints. Um, so the thing that's interesting about this is most no-budget films, when people start out to do it the way that we did it, the film never gets finished. They run out of money or they discover it's too difficult. Um, and it never actually gets done. So if things get finished being shot, they never make it through post-production and be an actual complete movie. And we did. Um, so right there, there's this miracle, and you go, thanks. But a finished movie, and I got to honestly say, my expectations for this film were not that I would get rich. My expectations were that it would get paid for and that it would be a stepping stone to doing better the next time for all of us who'd never done it before. And God did a really, really interesting thing. Um, I thought we'd all get to look at this movie we made together and go, okay, you know, that's kind of cool. But God found a distributor for the movie. Um, and most films never get distributed. This is a miracle. We weren't even done with it. And we had a signed contract for it to get out everywhere that you could go or everywhere that it could go. Um, so Rogue Saints has been seen in theaters around the world. Um, not in the United States, but in a bunch of other countries. Um, it's won a bunch of awards, including Best Film at uh, various different film festivals. It has reviews that I just, I never thought I would get for my first work. And I thought, okay, God, that's, that's cool. Um, you can actually, uh, you can go get it. You can go watch it on Netflix today, and you should. Because um, <laughs> it's good. Um, so surely this is what God meant for his calling on my life, isn't it? I mean, people have flooded to the churches because of this movie. 
but that's not actually true. Um, I know a, a few people have. I have reports coming back of this changing the world. And it seems that for all the time and effort that all these people that I put into it, we could have just taken people to coffee and it would have been a lot less difficult. (laughs) And Rogue Saints has been more financially devastating for me than Swordfish could have ever hoped to be. And I... I didn't ignore God. I know, I know, and I even know now that it was the right thing to do. It was the right step. Um, And that he had been in it through the whole thing. And it's not flying off shelves. It's doing, it's it's okay. You know, it's fine. It's not doing any better than any other, you know, than any other low-budget Christian movie. Um, But I didn't just, I went into debt to make this thing happen. And the interesting is, thing is that after that movie got done, all that business that God had given me to help pay for it went away. And we've struggled, I mean, bad ever since. I mean, we're, you know, for a very long time there, and some of you know this, um, I mean, we weren't sure if we were going to get to stay here um, I was pretty sure we were going to have to move somewhere in with family or something. And we, we seriously considered it and made at least cursory plans to do it and started figuring out what it would take. That's how bad it's been financially for it. Um, and it's been pretty stressful in my marriage. Um, again, my wife, she wouldn't have gone into debt, but I'm a leader. I can do that. Um, you know, and this isn't related, but uh, you know, my my uh, my youngest daughter, um, she is sick, and she it's it's an everyday thing. I see the pain on her face every day, and she's she's a good kid because she just doesn't get down about it. But I see it, and I wouldn't want to go through that. And this is the thing that really gets me about it. I did what I was supposed to do. God asked me to do this, and I know I like I know I. I'm I don't hear me anymore. There we go. Hey. All right. Um, and so when God said jump, I jumped. And I did it. And it's cost me other things. And I'm not, I'm not actually very happy about this next part. But in my career, there, um, your credits matter a lot. So to be able to say I'm this and to have people like they do, like I do, go, oh, interesting, and they sit there and Google, and they type your name in. And most of the people I know, nothing comes up when you look for them. My name comes up, and it comes up, it's the first name. Um, I've been very careful about what I let go on my credits uh, out there. And I've worked on a lot of Christian stuff, but I don't actually request or kindly decline when they say, hey, what do you want to put us up there for? I just say um, because it costs me, and I know it'll cost me when people go, um, oh, you directed a film, what is it? Oh, well, it's a film about guys, you know, that steal this diamond from a church. Oh, a church, is that a Christian film? Yeah. Oh. And so I've been careful about it. And God said, go for it. 
And so now, that's my one credit, my passion project. The first thing I've done is a Christian film. Um, I'm not ashamed of God. I've never been ashamed of God. There's no way you would have a conversation with me where it got anywhere around the topic of God and Jesus that you would hear me deny him. Or if somebody was in trouble, I, I will talk to you about God. It's just this is the first impression on my work. And I gave that up. The other thing is, you provided all this business for me, God. And um, when you wanted your movie made, but now that I need to go and make some money, I got nothing. <laughs> and I did what you asked, and you're going to let me be financially destroyed. This doesn't really seem fair. This isn't really what I expected from you. This isn't what I thought God would do. You say that you talk to us, and I know I was listening. If you're the God of the universe, you can speak clearly enough for me to understand. It's not like I need to be taught that I have to listen to you. I've shown you that I'm faithful, and I'll do what you ask. So doesn't that mean, I mean, didn't, isn't it what you meant that I would do this and it would be a stepping stone for something next. Isn't that what's supposed to happen here? So what's going on? I just gave away the next slide. That's where we get. But we're going to go back. What's going on? Because I'm angry. Um, if you're going to tell me I'm going to do something and you give me a promise, it should take less than 20 years. It really should. And I personally believe that if I step out on a limb for you, it shouldn't snap off under me. And I had the opinion on good authority, on biblical authority, that you were good and you cared for me and you cared for your people. And I shouldn't have to go through this. God is unreasonable and he doesn't make sense. And when I thought about it further... I realized that God let this kind of stuff happen all the time. It wasn't just me. I mean, when you look through the Bible, it is full of people who followed him and came to very poor ends. His people went into exile. They were murdered. So I went to Auschwitz. Something horrible happened to his people there. And he's God. And somewhere along the way, I got this idea that it didn't apply to me. That God would do something different. That the outcome, this was sure. I would, if I did this stuff, it's not like I didn't have a personal relationship with him. I just, I believed something about him that really wasn't based in what he said at all. He said, go do this, and I did it. He says he works for good, and I just assume he works for good means I'm going to have this this thing happened. And when I talked about this, uh, my wife, my poor wife, she put up with this, the faithful, the wonderful, godly wife. <laughs> I know I'm building you up. You're never going to live up to this. Um, she goes, <laughs> you sound really entitled. <laughs> and when I talked to Kurt about this, and I, I did my first run through with him, he says, yeah, you, you sound like a petulant child. <laughs> yeah. You know, and my, my wife, she wasn't trying to condemn me. She's going, you do understand what you're doing, right? Well, I didn't. I didn't understand what I was doing. Um, and again, the hall of fame of faith, the people that we hold up 
as the people who did it best in the Bible, most of them, they didn't come to the end you would expect when God sent them on a journey to do something for him or with him. And so I figured out that God doesn't do what I want him to do, and my opinion doesn't matter. It just doesn't at all. God is who he is. He is what he says he is. I believe in this God that we serve at Lake Sammamish Foursquare. I believe in him. And I believe everything about it. He put it in his book. If, not, if it's not true, then clearly, I'm not going to get too far into the proving that God exists thing or that it's this God. But this is the thing. If God exists, then he can make a book and he can protect it to say what he says. And if it doesn't mean, if some of it isn't true, then none of it's true. It's just made up. And everything that I make up about him is made up. And I may learn new things about him, but it's always going to agree with what he put in there. And so I can say whatever I want about him, but it's not going to change who he is. And I followed his lead, and I listened, and I made hard choices. And I expected him to do things that he never promised to me. I literally made up things about him that weren't true. And I don't believe in a fantasy God, but it turns out I kind of was. Um, and so somehow my opinion of him, I thought it would change the truth about him. Sort of like Oprah thinks that a jealous God wouldn't be the God of the Bible, so she's not going to serve him. Did she learn that? I thought that was interesting. So you believe all the rest of the things in there, but you don't believe that. And you get to determine who God is. That's interesting. I like to think I'm not that stupid. But it turns out I was kind of doing that, and it, it almost destroyed me. And so I just thought, and, and honestly, this got me to a, a good point of going, all right, I'm going to serve you, okay? I, I'm going to stop doing that. But what's the good in this? And I thought, well, what other creeping untruths do I have? And what if I took this further? Where would this go with me? And I see that it happens around me in the world and in the church, so we're going to go back to how to build a better God for a second. We're going to do this again. So God is love, right? He's forgiveness. He's mercy. He's kindness. He's long-suffering. And he set the world in motion. And he put dinner on my plate via my wife. And this is the kind of God I'd build. This is the kind of God you'd build, I think. And it's the kind of God that most of the world says they would build. It's the kind of God they want. I love this God. And since we're on a roll, we're going to keep going. I believe a loving God would let me work 100 hours a week and not get sick. Because he loves me. And that rule doesn't apply to me. I think he would let me ignore his commands to rest and I wouldn't wind up in the hospital with heart palpitations because he loves me. I'm doing his work. Yeah. I could put work before everything and not lose my family. Don't you think a loving God would let me do whatever it took to be rich? I mean, wealth is a good thing. I certainly hear a lot of people preach about it. But the thing is, the way we get it, that should be okay, because that's a good thing. He wants to bless us. And let's be honest here. I mean, he made us. He made me the way I am. 
He gives me the desires of my heart. Why can't I sleep with whoever I want to sleep with? A loving God would let you gain the whole world and not lose your soul. That's what a loving God would do, right? That's what a loving God would do. In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't actually mean all that negative stuff in the book. I mean, not exactly the way it's written anyway, right? It's, it, he can't have meant that. He's, he's a loving God, and I kind of don't like that stuff. And I think he meant something else by it, actually. I think he meant something a little more progressive, maybe, changeable, than what's actually in there. And now I've built this little Frankenstein's monster of a god. And none of it's true. It's just a bunch of stuff I made up. Pick and choose. This is what I would have it be. And I go through my life somehow thinking that if I keep exploring this God that I'm making up, that I'm going to find him, I'm going to find happiness, and I'm going to find an explanation for why all the crap that happens in the world happens. Because he says he's love, but all this other thing, those don't mean love to me. When we pick and choose the attributes of God, we're God. You're God. And honestly, you suck at it. You're not good at it. Like all the stuff you make up about him, the, the worst part is none of it's true. And so you get to make it up. And it won't change who he is. And the fortunate thing is, I don't worship this silly mashup of a God. It just seems that along the way, I let myself believe a few things that weren't true. So let me share some of those things. God promised me something, and I have no idea of whether I actually heard him. I think I, I'm still pretty sure I did. I, I, I think maybe he's going to do that promise. But the thing is, what if I was wrong? He still, he still used that misunderstanding, and he still used, even through the whole thing, being wrong about what he was going to do, to bless me. He let me have a life where I don't wonder who my God is, even though I was wrong about him. He just kept doing good things for me, and I can see it at every step, his guidance. Okay, and this one's big, because people want to be led. They want to know, they want the universe to make sense, and they want God to make sense. God actually talks to me. I mean, do you know anybody outside of the church? I do, actually, who think God is talking to them. And they say things that you know are absolutely what they want it to be. And I know that God, that I actually hear his voice. And he speaks to me, and I do it. And when he tells me to do it, it turns out, even if it's unexpected, even if it's not what I wanted, it was the right thing. It turns out it was loving for me. When we couldn't have more than one child... God sent a child to us in a way that was very unexpected. We weren't out going, well, if it's not going to happen that way, we just went, if that's not what God wants, then he's not. Then it's not going to happen for us. And we wound up bringing in another great kid into our house. And she is my daughter, 
and I love her. I'd have never chosen this. It's not the path I would have picked out for me. And we've got another one on the way. After that miscarriage, we thought, well, we're going to get the, God's giving us another child. And the interesting thing is, um, he's the same age that that child would have been. Um, Didn't see that coming. And God chose to bless me, bless us in this. And he's taken those broken relationships that I had, the ones in the movies and other places, and he's built great relationships out of them. Like he took what should be done in a business relationship because you just move on, and he's built great bonded friendships out of them. I wouldn't have ever expected this. And when I... When I ignored him, when I found the things that I didn't agree with in his Bible, and I thought, surely he doesn't mean that. Surely that's old, and he meant it for somebody else. He did the most unexpected thing. He, he, let, his, he let his son die for me. I wouldn't have expected that. It just turns out God is so much different than I would have thought of. He created the universe and he can just say things, go this way. And he does, but he does the most unexpected things with him. And it turns out that when I say he loves me, he means it so much better and different than I would have ever expected. And that's the kind of God that I want to serve. Not a go-go gadget arms God and not a God that's just something I made up where I'm going to keep spending the rest of my life trying to make it fit. When I literally have the thing that he gave us, and I can keep going that, spend the rest of my life following that and getting to know that God who's real, who's shown himself to be true to me the whole way through. And it comes down to me, for me, to this. The God that I serve is not formed by my thinking. I'm formed by him. He's my Lord and he's my master. That's it. It's not my choice. It's not my opinion. I want to serve that God and you should too. Thanks. Thanks.